This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to the Beamsy and Brit podcast. She hits hard. She'll get the six. Grace Harris sets a new mark in the WBBL with a 42 ball punt. There's a run out of the bowlers end. Unbelievable. Bold. Sarah Coitz has got the wicket and it's all high fives for the players in the green and gold. Beamsy and Brit, who are they? Australia has kept their white ball dominance alive with a T20 International Series win over in India to go with their one-day international clean sweep, successful period overseas. And if we're counting points instead of splitting the formats up and treating them like three individual series, Australia would have won the tour overall 10-6. to My name is Brittany Cardi. You're listening to another episode of the Beamsy and Brit podcast. And with me is former Australian leg spinner Kristen Beams to go over everything that's going on in India. Beamsy, I mean, three games. Australia won two out of them to take hold of this T20 series Lost the test match by eight wickets, but as I mentioned, they won all three ODIs. And after a little blip in the first T20, we're able to win those final two matches to get the job done. As we reflect on everything, what's been your favourite part of this Australia-India series? Great, great to be chatting with you firstly, but it feels a little bit like normality got restored, I think, at the, the end of the series. It felt like after the test match, there was all this optimism from world cricket was this the demise of the Australian women's cricket team and we can now confirm that it was not that after all that India played a really good test match but I think Australia continued to be the best white ball team in the world and I think that they proved that yet again so I think the storyline for me and we've we've mentioned it a lot it's it's the era of of Phoebe Litchfield but I Mm -hmm. just think the growth of her in in this series and I think for any player to go to India and dominate on those surfaces is a really big deal. And and to kind of just see that across at all three formats was something that was really nice for me. Do we think that the subcontinent conditions got easier for Australia as time went on? Did India kind of lose that advantage as the tour progressed throughout the formats? It, yes, I think so. And I think that it'd be interesting to ask some of the players about it because I wonder if those players who are now going back to the WPL are actually really looking forward to it off the back of having this series and across multiple formats. It's such a great learning experience to play to play in the subcontinent a good learning experience, but also to play three different formats. So when you're changing your game style and then still having to adapt to the wicket, I think that's that's really cool learning. So I'm sure they've all come off the back of that going like, it's really nice to come home, but they'd probably be ready for another India series soon to say, well, now that we've worked it out, let's go back there and play more cricket. I feel like there's some similarities between the way this series panned out for India and the way that the women's ashes panned out for Australia in 2023, because there was so much focus on that test match. They had the preparation of playing England right before they played Australia in the longest format. And then as time went on there, hold on the contest in the white ball format slipped away. When we think about the women's ashes, the players have been open about the fact that they put so much focus on that red ball preparation that they didn't prepare enough for the white ball stuff. Do you also see those similarities between the way the women's ashes played out and also how this tour has played out for India at home? Yeah, I think India started really well and I agree that it was a really good advantage to have played a series against really good quality opposition before coming into it. But I think 
you have to think about how dominant Australia have been and how good they are as a team or how great they are, I think I should say, is that that's what teams like that do. They they actually adapt and find ways and they can always sort of get that momentum back. And it that's what it sort of felt like to me. It felt like India started really well with that test match and it was like, wow, what could this be? But they just kept dragging them back, Australia, and finding different ways, finding different contributors. And then I think when, when you look back, I think a lot of players would get to the end of that tour and go, well, they probably all had a moment. And I think that all-round performance of a team to, to have lots of different contributors is really important. And it felt like India probably got a little bit more narrow as they went. They were sort of a little bit more reliant on their best players to get the job done. And that kind of felt like the difference. Mm. What do you think will be the Australian team's biggest learning from this overall series? Uh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I think they'll probably look individually around how they they went about it um, more so than as a team because it felt like they kind of got it done. Elisa Healy referenced the batting a few times and and that they were actually really good um, with the ball and that their fight with the ball. So you know, based on that, you'd have to think that maybe batting would be more of a conversation than the bowling. But I'd also expect that based on the conditions. I think for every bowler, whether you're a pace bowler or whether you're a spinner, you're pretty happy to go and bowl on on those wickets. I think the the bigger thing to adapt to is is the batting. Hmm. And we've already spoken so much about how this team is in that transition phase as we've farewelled some really big names and now we're looking for some more young and inexperienced players to come through and slot into that team and cement their position. I think there's some big takeaways too around the fact that Australia, it's important for this team to keep challenging themselves because there is a kind of complacency that can get stuck for some teams when they're at the top for so long. And knowing this has been the world number one team for such a long time, everyone's talking about closing that gap. How do we beat Australia? And England and India have been vocal over the past two years about how they think they're getting closer to beating Australia. And we did see India get the wood over the Aussies in the test format and won T20 on this tour. But I think if Australia is to keep its status as that world number one team, tours like this are going to be important moving forward, just challenging themselves in a different environment and, yeah, out of their comfort zone. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think they'll want to keep coming up against the top nations as much as they can, especially away from home. I think it is a really different challenge playing against big countries when you're playing them at home on on these conditions. and. I think the opportunities are endless in that space as well. I think the the rise of franchise cricket as well. I think there are there are lots of benefits for playing um, in other areas of the world, and that's something that they'll look at. and And also the the spots that are up for grabs. Like I think that's the thing is no one feels safe in an Australian team. I don't reckon because you just know how the strength of domestic cricket and how many you know like Grace Harris has had to fight really hard to get into the team, but you know hasn't had as much opportunity as as others as well. So there's there's plenty of fight in and around those spots. So even though they named a really similar squad for the home series as well, sometimes I always felt the bigger fight was actually just trying to get into the 11. Um, <laughs> it always felt like once you got into the 11, it was like, great, well, now I've got like 10 of the most amazing people around me. We can we can nearly do it against anyone. But actually getting into the 11 might be the, the hardest part for, for this team moving forward. We're going to take a closer look at that uh, squad that's set to face South Africa in just a moment and touch on some of those things you've talked about. But just before we get there, if we reflect on the way India played this series, I think the biggest thing for me was the depth in their batting order. 
um, the emergence of some stars that they can really rely on in the years to come. Pooja Vistraka, I think, was one of the standouts of this series. You had your regulars there, of course, like your Deepthi Sharmas, your Smriti Mandanas, Shafali Verma, Jamima Rodriguez was excellent at points throughout the tour. So I think India has always had the cattle to kind of be a team that can compete with Australia for sure. But I think we're seeing them push more towards that all-rounder mentality that Australia has when you see their selections now. There seems to be people that can bat quite well lower down the order and can also bowl and really change a game too. It doesn't seem like they're relying on the same people all the time. So is that something you noticed about India throughout this series? Yeah, it was actually really nice to hear when they were talking about some of their young players that had come in that had played in the Under-19 World Cup. And it's like, yes, like that is the magic of why there is an Under-19 World Cup is because it can be a breeding ground for for teams to bring their players through. And I thought Trianka was really good with the ball, with her mm. offspin. I think um, that there was a lot to like about some of their younger players, but those players just need a little bit of time. So those younger players have come in and faced England and Australia. So it's been a, a really tough challenge for them. But I think that those players getting in a little bit more game time against some other opposition where you would expect India to dominate those series will be probably the the real making of those players. So some of them, we saw like some flashes of, of brilliance. And I think that's that's what's really exciting about the team. I think it's now just about getting a little bit more game time into them with some really huge series coming up with the T20 World Cup. So there's there's so much cricket in front of them. So this is the most excited I've been about where this Indian team can go. And I think at times when they really took the game on, um, they did that in the T20. I thought they looked really good. I thought their fielding was improved in the test match but yeah. maybe not across the whole series. So there was there was some little things that I thought, oh, wow, like this is actually really exciting. And the influence of the the WPL, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think we'll continue to see that moving forward. But I would expect that some of these players are probably playing really good cricket off the back of playing in that in the same way Australia's young players have done well in the WBBL coming into the Australian team. So it's it seems like they're on the path to what is probably going to be something special. It sounds like a really boring word to use, but consistency is the biggest thing India is after. And now that they've got that team in place, if they can hold on to that, I noticed that we're a fair few debutants throughout the series as the time went on, but we didn't see like a Shikapandi or even a Poonam Yadav. And we're so used to seeing those players in the Indian setup. So it does really feel like there's been a shift there and yeah, as I could not believe we have another T20 World Cup to come this year in Bangladesh in September. That is so exciting, but tough for the Aussies knowing they only just retained it last year and now they're going to have to defend it again as cricket tries to play catch up after the pandemic, of course. But I cannot wait to see what that Indian team brings to the tournament on the back of what we've seen here. So let's move on to some of our talking points before we get to the match analysis. And I wanted to talk to you again about India. We've spoken a bit about Harmanpreet Kaur and, you know, some of her fiery moments over time as Indian captain and made a comparison to to Elisa Healy and the way that she's gone about leading the side. But there was a moment that, again, sparked a bit of controversy after the second T20. This was a game that India lost to Australia and right at the end Harmanpreet Kaur was interviewed and She said, I think the score wasn't enough on the board, but our bowlers did really well. We took it to the 19th over. That was the biggest positive. 
in the 19th over, if Sriyanka was on target, it would have made a huge difference for us. So most people looked at that and thought that's an example of a captain throwing a young player under the bus, knowing that she's so new to this international scene and this Indian setup, and yet she's kind of putting the blame on Sriyanka there. Yeah, I didn't like it. I think I think to name any player when you're talking about a loss is a is a really challenging thing. But I think also for a young player, generally you'll find at the end of a game, most players feel somewhat responsible for a, a loss. And and that's actually a really tough thing to work through post-match to make sure you get yourself up for the, the next game. So I think for a captain to speak about a, a young player like that, even if it is out of context, I would really hope that somebody, whether it be a coach or an, another senior player, would have spoken to her about that. And I really hope that she went and spoke to the player um, in and around saying, like, I, I should not have, have said that out loud. I think there was there was a real difference in the way both of these captains operated. I think that there's some real similarities in their com- competitiveness and the way that they like to to go about their cricket. But I think in the way that they speak about their teams, there's there's a real difference in that. Um, and I, I think I'd be much happier to be a part of the Elisa Healy team than to to be a part of the Harman Preet core team, knowing that my name might get dropped after a, a loss in a game. It's a, it's a pretty yucky feeling. I mean, 17 runs off that final over. I get where Harman Preet Kaur was coming from, but you just don't say it, do you? you <laughs> I'm wondering if she's lacking that media training that the Aussie women would be getting and I guess an approach on how to go about it and I'm sure there's still license to be yourself within that I'm sure they still encourage captains to speak what they're thinking and we know Elisa Healy isn't someone to be reserved about what's on her mind she just speaks what she thinks a lot of the time but there's also this responsibility as a leader to nurture the young talent and so for Sriyanka Patil to sort of be thrown under the bus like that wasn't the best look, particularly when Harmapreet Kaur herself went for six runs. I mean, if her role is solely to perform with the bat, take away the captaincy, just performance-wise, potentially you could be pointing the finger back at yourself, couldn't you? I think so. And I think more so from the fact that you've got a young player bowling the last over. So, And I think that's how she probably could have softened it is to say, you know, I've, I've put... I've put my bowler in a really tricky position to bowl the last over of the the game. And, you know, from a captaincy perspective, maybe I could have gone back and had a look at how I worked my my bowlers through that innings and and maybe that would have made a, a difference. I think it still highlights that that was a, an over that didn't go the way that they had planned it. But there's actually some ownership and accountability. And I think when players talk about the really good captains that they play for, that it's that real um, connected view that, you know, as a bowler, you don't feel like it's all on you. It's the the captain will say to you things like, yeah, I want to keep that fielder up. And if the ball gets hit through that gap, like I'll wear it because I think that's the right decision. So, you know, you always want to feel like the captain and the bowler are side by side. But I think a comment like that makes it feel like that's not the case, um, that it's, hey, it's just the bowler's bad call. It was 17 runs off the last over. That's that's bad rather than actually we're in it together and maybe it was a bit of me and maybe it was a bit of you, but, you know, ultimately it didn't go the way we wanted it to. Moving on, when we look at the squad that's been named for the South Africa series to play these T20s, ODIs and test match here in Australian soil, there aren't that many changes really. Uh, We do see that Alana King has been earmarked for the ODIs only and Grace Harris has been earmarked for the T20s only. 
Poor Grace Harris. I mean, she flew to India just to be involved for the T20 format and she managed one run in the first game, but she didn't get to bowl in any of them and she didn't get to bat in the last two. So that's a long way to go, isn't it, for one run? I mean, I guess that's on her as much as it is anything else. But at the same time, oh, a very big effort there from Grace Harris with not much return, Beavesy. Yeah, you, but your worst day on tour is still better than any other day. There's no doubt about that. So I'm sure she'd just be happy to to be a part of it. But it's the tricky thing about batting, having a role in the middle order and with a team that has so many bowlers is she's always going to have that limited opportunity, you know, where you you look at other players in the lineup and like a, a Tali McGrath who's coming in at three, she's always, she's more than likely going to get an opportunity in every single game. Whereas I think the players in that middle order, it can be really tricky because, when you do get that opportunity, it's only a small number of balls as well. So mm. that, that's got some real challenges because Australia, you would expect to be dominant in the majority of series that they play is that she could potentially be in a series where she doesn't bat at all um, if they're, they're playing against different oppositions. So I really feel for a player like Grace Harris because I think she's so dynamic and does an incredible job at the top of the lineup in WBBL cricket. But you know, with this talented lineup, she is in the spot where she needs to be um, for the Australian team to have success, but it means the opportunity is not always going to come. Is there any point picking her? She's retained selection for this series, so she'll be happy with that. But coming in at seventh, I just kind of wonder what's the point? Is, are they treating her as a pinch hitter? I mean, if her role in domestic cricket is to open the batting and that's what she's known for and that's what's got her selected, We know that Australia has so many openers and they've actually gone through three different options throughout the ODIs, the tests and the T20s on this specific tour. But surely there's a case for her to bat up the order, particularly if they're bringing over her just for that T20 format. I still think you pick your best batters and and that's why she's she's in the team. I think she is absolutely in their their top seven batters in this format. I, I think it's always just a tricky one around at what point do you choose to give someone an opportunity and and why does somebody who's batting at the top of the lineup deserve to go down and I, I think that's that's always the the thing that's that's really really challenging so yeah she's she's for me she's in the team and she's in the position that she is but I'd find it really hard to make a case for her to to bat somewhere else in the lineup at this point but I mm. think the experience of being in the lineup and batting at seven means that They've got so much flexibility because I think if anyone above her in the batting lineup gets injured, I don't think you straight swap them for somebody who's not in. I think Grace Harris actually just comes into to that position. So um, it's probably getting her used to to being in the team and in and around her, getting used to different conditions, knowing that she can literally sub in in any position above her. It's a pretty unselfish role, isn't it? I mean, again, you will take a opportunity to be in this trend setup anytime you can, but Heather Graham is someone else I'm looking at who's again made it for this South African squad and is missing out on an opportunity to play cricket in general because she's tied up in her Aussie commitments but not getting on the park. So it's a difficult role to play on the sidelines, running the water, being there just in case they need you, but not actually getting out on to the park and an opportunity to prove what you can do. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the the really big things that that I probably reflect on is a player like a Beth Mooney. So Beth Mooney for me was somebody who ran the drinks a lot for Australia and we ran them together a lot. Um, And she was this young player and it was like, wow, she had all this ability, but she just couldn't find a way into the team. So 
I think we look at it series on series and be like, oh, you know, what is Heather Graham going to do? You know, Grace Harris could bat higher. But I actually think that, you know, maybe in five years' time we look back and and those two are, are playing really key roles in the team and we're like, oh, right, okay. So they just kind of had to do their time. I think the the part that we probably look at is if they were playing for any other country in the world, they'd be in the best 11 and um, they'd be probably playing really key roles. And um, it's the good and the bad of, of being in that, that Australian setup, as I mentioned before. The hardest fight is getting in the 11. Um, I feels like once you're in the 11, you can just about do anything. But to get in that 11 right now, I reckon there's some, there must be some pretty spicy little training sessions um, and some really good contests, I reckon, because it's, yeah, it's a, it must be a, Who'd want to be a selector of the Australian women's cricket team? I reckon that's, that would have to be one of the hardest jobs going around. Yeah. Lauren Cheadle, talk to me about her because she was picked for the test against India, made her debut in that format, hasn't been picked in this squad. Does that tell you that they thought she might be able to make an impact in the Indian conditions and didn't um, and that perhaps they don't think she'll be able to have that impact at the Wacker? Yeah, I think the it's whether they looked at the test in isolation probably, like whether the, um, again, you just look at the other players in the squad and you're like, who who could they potentially bump out to give her that kind of opportunity? Is it different at home? There's there's probably lots of other things to, to kind of think about um, with regards to that. I, I think that I think she's a player who's just had really good domestic success and it made sense to, to give her an opportunity in England, um, in India, sorry. But, yeah, it's again, it's a hard one. I, I think she's a player who's going to feature over the next 12 months. I think that that's what it feels like to me, I think, to have a left armour to do something different. But, again, you're talking about a bowling lineup that continues to be really successful with so many all-rounders. Tough. Very tough. And Alana King, who has played the last few tests for Australia, is not going to get a go against South Africa. That tells me that Georgia Wareham takes that spot if I'm reading between the lines. Uh, I, I mean, it's tough for her knowing that she has made an impact throughout tests and and won't get a go now too. So even when you're in a position where you feel like you're a regular in the squad, again, you come back to what you're saying about maintaining that spot in the 11 can be really difficult. I never once felt like I was settled in the team ever. Um and I think that was a, a great strength of the the team is that when you have such a really strong group, it does come down to where are we playing, who are the opposition, where are their weaknesses. Whereas I think you know perhaps for other teams, it's like well we just pick our best, te- we just pick the best players, and and that's what we've got. But I think with the depth that Australia has, it can come down to something that's nearly out of your control, and that's a really that must be a really challenging part as a as a player that okay, well, it's going to be a bouncy wicket, so we're going to make these decisions. And you go, okay, well, that's really hard because I, I was in the last team and I did really well. And it's like, well, that's, that's where we're, that's sort of the level where this Australian team is at at the moment, which is, which is tricky. Now talk to me about this Governor General's 11 side. I'm very excited to see the news today that you will be coaching this team that will play against South Africa and you will be joined in that coaching setup by former English player Jenny Gunn. Now, I was a massive fan of Jenny Gunn when she played. I have seen her around the New South Wales setup. To see her involved with you guys, is it like she's turned coat? Has she become an Aussie almost? 
I, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing Jenny Gunn in an Australian uniform and, and I will get a photo of that because I think that's a really important moment for her. Um, but, look, I think she's one of the great characters and I think somebody who I played a lot of cricket against. So I'm I'm really looking forward to working with, with her and, and with Grant as well with his experience through, you know, the WBBL and his playing experience as well. I think it, it's it'll be a... A great little crew. It's it's only a very short tour, obviously the the one game, but it's an opportunity for some of the the young talent around the the country to play international cricket. And I think lots of players who have gone on to play for Australia have played in tour games, whether they be sort of those Aussie games or the the games before different series. So um, th- there's probably some good history that you know players that get the opportunities here will will hopefully wear an Australian uniform in the the future, but. Yeah, I was. I felt very fortunate to Sean Flegler asked me if I'd be involved, and um, yeah, it's a it's a very easy yes to to go and be around some of the the country's most talented players. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they they go up against the the South Africans. It's always a you always hope that you might be able to to knock off an international team. That's always the the goal. But um, there's some really exciting talent um, in that team. Um, that have had the opportunity through WBBL cricket and WNCL cricket um, over the summer so far. It's going to be played at North Sydney over on January 24th. I know in the past it's been played at Dremoyne. So cool to see it shift from from there to the North Sydney Oval, which is quite popular with people when it comes to building a crowd. Sophie Molyneux will be leading that. And I think that's a really exciting point that we should probably talk about, knowing that She's had a bad trot with injury over the last few years, was someone that was well and truly within that Australian team and then through injury fell out of favour and has struggled to push back to that same kind of height that got her selected in the first place. But this is a fantastic opportunity for her to, one, prove her case, but also I think show what she can bring to a side like this as a captain and leader. Yeah, I thought she was amazing in a WNCL return. I've, I've watched quite a lot of, of that game and she was player of the match and I think she took six wickets. She, she looked unbelievable. It looked like she hadn't had any time out of the game. And I'm like, that's, you know, that that's a player that's got incredible resilience to to come back in and to to dominate in your first game back domestically. And then I agree to to now see her in um, you know, this next kind of level of of cricket. I think it's it's really exciting and I think the the big thing that we saw with Soph through the the WBBL when she was that she's an incredible leader, and I, I think to see her leading the team and 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 the way that she goes about her captaincy is something that I'm really looking forward to to seeing as well because it's you know she's been so unlucky with injury along with her good mate Taylor Blumenick as well. So you know there's some some young champions that have that have struggled through injury. So we talk about this Australian eleven that's hard to get into. Well. I tell you what, there's some players coming back from injury that are going to push really hard as well. Any other players there that you think people should keep an eye out for? I mean, Charlie Knott, of course, is one that stands out for me. There's plenty of big bash stars in here. Tess Flintoff, I mean, where does the list end? Um, I'm really excited to see how they combine and that's going to be a challenge for you, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. And I, I think you can't even single anyone else out because I think this the team, you just go down the list and you're like, yes, yes, I can't wait to, to see these players play I think Chloe Ainsworth has been a player that people have really enjoyed watching Millie Illingworth has has come in and had a little bit of a taste of it as well Amy Smith has played a lot of cricket at the WBBL level and is getting her opportunity through this as well so you know you could literally talk about every single player that's that's getting an opportunity through this team and go yeah that makes complete sense so it's it's really exciting and 
I like that the team is is very young as well. I think it's um it's a really young group this year, so um hopefully it'll be really good fun. Not lacking experience though, which I think speaks volumes of the pathways that we've got set up here domestically. Now, quickly, I just wanted to mention the ICC Awards were announced um, the nominations for that right after we recorded last week. And I hope everyone has been on and voted because there are some hot names in contention for each of the categories. Ash Gardner is up for ODI Player of the Year, as well as the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy for the overall Player of the Year. Then we see Elise Perry up for the T20 International Player of the Year and Phoebe Litchfield as a nominee for the Emerging Cricketer of the Year. And all of those names deserve to be there, rightly so. I think he could probably put the case forward that some other Aussies could also be in the running. But uh, there's about four or five players per category. If you're an Aussie fan, make sure you get onto the website and vote for them because there's some um, hot competition there, Beamsy. And, I mean, these players, I think, very much deserve to win those awards. Yeah, it's always hard when, with the awards, isn't it? Because it's like when people say, who's going to win the Belinda Clark medal? And you go, I can't remember what series because everything kind of blurs <laughs> into to one. But there's no doubt about it that those players have had great years. Um, and I, I agree with you. It's Sometimes it's like the crossover with with series and you could easily throw in all these other names. But I, I think just as a player, it's a it's an unbelievable recognition, I think, to, to be up there from for an ICC award at that level. Um, so I've got my fingers crossed that that all of them end up getting through and, and winning an award. Although I don't know how does that work. Do the, do the ICC try and share it around or can we win everything? I don't know. Well, it's vote-led, so it's more of a popularity contest and I guess it depends how many people jump on from your country to vote for you. But selfishly, I think we'd love to see the Aussies do a, queen, a clean sweep of those women's awards for sure. All right, well, let's take a look at these India and Australia T20 matches in closer detail. So game one, India won by nine wickets. They won the toss and bulk first, and that was definitely the key to victory in this part of the tour because every team that won the toss and bulk first managed to win the game. And, of course, things had to go right performance-wise too, but that was the way that they set themselves up for sure. So when we look at those conditions, we were still seeing the team play in Mumbai but it was at a different stadium. We went from the Wankaneed Stadium over to D.Y. Patil Stadium. Does the conditions change that much from venue to venue? Yeah, I don't think a lot. I'm, I'm sure there'd be little bits and pieces, whether that, you know, it turned a little bit more, it was a little bit lower, but I, I don't think that the conditions would have been too different, probably just be um, based on the wickets and how many games were on each of the particular wickets. But I don't think it would have been a, a completely different feeling for the players moving from one stadium to the other. I was really interested about those conditions and how much they were different because we saw Australia come into this one and I didn't think it was their best night at all with the bat or with the ball. There were a couple of batting collapses. They lost four for five at one stage, just so unlike the Aussies. And a young 19-year-old pacer for India, Titus Sadhu, in her sixth ever game for her country was a big draw card. I think the unknown of facing her really was such a big advantage for India because Australia had never faced her before but she took four big scalps she took Mooney she took McGrath for a duck she took Ash Gardner for a golden tuck and Annabelle Sutherland too what was it about her bowling that was so tricky to face for the Australians yeah I think you might have been hit the nail on the head there I think sometimes when a new player comes in that you don't see very much you, you know you look down at the the bowling card and you see that Pooja 
Vistraka actually went for 14 and over. She bowled her two overs for 28. So it's nearly like sometimes as a player, you'd be like, right, we got through that. Look, we've we've managed to score off their their best bowler. And then it actually just allows somebody else to to come in and and have a, a bit of success. And sometimes that's the other thing. Once you get a bit of a roll on in T20 cricket, you can have a really good day. And, and that's what it felt like watching her. It was like, okay, that's a good start. Okay, now she's even getting better and better. So there, there's a lot to like there. I just thought it was great for a 19-year-old to come in and not be phased by the occasion playing against the world number one team. Um, And to do that, like kudos to her, that was a brilliant performance. So Australia struggled with the bat. They only made 141 runs. And in reply, India only lost one wicket. The openers did a really good job, 137 runs between them. And they almost did all of the work that was required to get that 142-run target. Now, McGrath and Sutherland were quite expensive in this one and they only bowled two overs each. Australia also gifted 21 extras to India and that would have helped to their total. So not only was the batting not up to scratch, but the bowling was a little bit sloppy. We've spoken so much about this extra count and I know you've said to me in the past, part of it is the way that Australia tack the stumps and sometimes it's going to come off and sometimes it isn't. But I think there are moments that we see this extra count really creep up And the Aussies sometimes don't seem to be able to bring it back once it's kind of got too far. They don't seem to be able to correct some of those mistakes. If we look at the extra count across the whole T20 series for Australia, they had 50 in total. India had 25. Of course, subcontinent conditions, you'd expect India to be a little bit more comfortable, but it's a pretty big difference, Beamsy. Yeah, it's a big difference. I'm still not willing to concede. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna hold on to it for dear life, but I think it's important to the way that we play. And I think more so with the amount of pace that we have on the ball. I think we're, there's some inevitability around some of that. And and when we have some of those wides, if we miss and it's five wides, I think, you know, sometimes you can look at that and go like, wow, but if it's, you know, a couple of those in a game, all of a sudden it's it's 10, right? So it's a, it's a little bit different. But I think what India actually did really well in this innings was that they really tried, they really threw it back to the the Australian bowlers and it's it's a little easier to do that right when you when they put 141 on the board you know that if you have a really as long as you win the power play it'll it'll probably be nice and easy and I and I think that's what they did they they sort of won that power play got through it without Australia knowing that they needed to take wickets to be effective I thought they just took them on pretty well um both of the the Indian openers and you know Verma ends up 64 not out of 44 balls I think um, she looked really good, and and then they were able to cash in. I think there were four sixes as well hit. So like they, once you get going, you've got the momentum. You know, you're chasing a small total. They they kind of went there. So it does put the Australian bowlers under a bit more pressure. It did feel like they had to learn really quickly though, because to come back to those changing conditions, you say it's probably not that different from one stadium to the other, being in the same city of Mumbai, but all the other matches. So the tests were played at. 9.30 in the morning in India. The ODIs were played at 1.30. And so the big difference, I think, was that 7 p.m. start time in India for the T20s. So I did read that the dew was quite difficult. Once that set in under lights, it made it really difficult for the team bowling second to execute their plans. So I think what we saw from this game to the next was a massive improvement for Australia. But do you think this was kind of like a baptism of fire, getting exposed to that dew and going, oh, wow, we really didn't expect these kind of conditions? 
Yeah, and I think that's a, it's a really good point. I think the difference around the wickets probably didn't play any different, but the actual conditions are, are really different. And the, the dew is probably something really different to actually how the, the pitch is playing. Yes, it might skid on, but all of a sudden when you've got dew around and the, the ball gets a different shape, it's got a different feel in your hand, those things are actually really challenging. And I think you look at that and go, well, they didn't have a good night on the first T20. It probably speaks to how good they were in the second two and and probably the value of of winning the the toss as well. And, again, mm-hmm. it's another tricky thing within cricket, isn't it, when you feel like you've got conditions like that and if you win or lose the toss, it's a really big advantage. Um, but clearly there was some advantage in in winning the toss and, and having a bowl. Well, from losing by nine wickets to winning by six wickets to level things up in the second game, Australia won the toss, bowled first. And the big change from not only learning from those conditions was the change in personnel. So we saw Kim Garth come into the attack, swapping out Darcy Brown, and that meant we had Kim Garth and Megan Shoot working together, which worked really nicely in some of the one-day internationals. Kim Garth's inclusion paid off straight away. Now, Elisa Healy apparently said this was just based on a gut feeling she had, but straight away we saw Kim Garth trap Shafali Verma LBW for just one run, knowing that she made 64 runs in that first game. And then she claimed a second wicket in the next over she had the ball, seeing off Jamima Rodriguez for 13. And those two batters play such a vital role at the top of the order for India. So it was quite a big deal for Kim Garth to come in and take both of those. I read a piece by Laura Jolly on the change um, to bring Kim Garth in. And apparently Elisa Healy had reflected on the damaging performance that she had put on at that same venue, D. White Patil Stadium, in the inaugural Women's Premier League earlier in 2023. And Garth was playing for the Gujarat Giants at the time. Elisa Healy was playing for the UP Warriors. She took five wickets. One of them, funny enough, was Elisa Healy. And so in the back of her mind, Elisa Healy was thinking, I know that she can perform in this venue. I'm just going to trust this gut feeling and give her a go. And it paid off. And I think that's what we're seeing from Elisa Healy is that she's really growing into this captaincy and trusting those instincts more as time goes on. Yeah, gut feel is such an important thing. And I, I like that she's made that decision. I'm a massive fan of Kim Garth. I, I like her in this lineup. I, I like her across all three formats, to be honest. I think that I think she offers so much being able to swing the the new ball and she's such a competitor. Um but I think Elisa Healy's had another couple of really good moments. I think there was one maybe in the second ODI where there was a review and I'm pretty sure it was Kim Garth and Kim Garth was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure. And Elisa Healy was like, no, I, I think that's out. And there was a bit back and forth and Kim, Kim Garth's body language basically like, no, it's not out. And, and she, they referred it and it was, and it was right. And again, and I think that's just that really nice confidence again is what, exactly what you're saying. She's, to really growing into the role and having confidence in, hey, no, you know what? I think that is out. I'm, I'm going to make that decision. Or, you know what? I'm going to say that we need to have this player within the lineup. And and that's what captains do. And that's why you you get chosen as a captain because people back that gut feel. And um, I think she's been really good. And I think that everything we've also, you know, we talked about the Harman Preet and example as well. I think everything that I've listened to or read about the way that Elisa Healy is talking about the team and the way they're going about it. It's just got this really great authenticity about it and and real honesty in, in what she's saying as well. And I've I've really I've really enjoyed listening to to everything that that she's been talking about as well. Now Kim Garth got player of the match honors for what she was able to do with the ball. 
And when she was interviewed after the game, she said she'd learned a lot from playing in the WPL in the subcontinent conditions, which shows why it's so important for our players to get a go in the WPL, not only for exposure and reach, but just for that experience and to play alongside some players they might not get the opportunity to play with in any other scenario. The other thing that stood out to me from this bowling innings was that Ash Gardner claimed the wicket of Harmapreet Kaur for a third time. Is Kaur becoming Ash Gardner's bunny? I hope so, because that's really important for Australia moving forward if she does. And I don't care what anyone says. You as a bowler know when you think you've got someone in your pocket. And as a batter, you also know that that person gets you out all the time. So I think that'll be a really nice little narrative to sort of follow through various World Cups and series moving forward. So let, fingers crossed that Ash Gardner keeps getting Humphrey core out. <laughs> Okay, well, the big milestone of this match, of course, was that Elise Perry hit her 300th game for Australia, the first woman to do it for our country, the fourth woman to do it globally behind Matali Raj, Charlotte Edwards and Susie Bates. I mean, Perry's name has always been so big when it comes to the groundbreaking strides that women's cricket has made and the history of the game, I think, just some of those stats and some of the things she's achieved will mean that even when we're 100 years from now, people will remember her name. People will know that name, Elise Perry, generations beyond when she stopped playing. How much longer do you think she will play now? I mean, she's 33 years old. I still think she's got lots left in the tank. You touched on the fact in some of our previous podcasts that she may stick to batting over trying to be an all-rounder and and just give away the bowling now just to ensure she keeps her fitness and can focus on the batting side of things. But you see Midge take on the captaincy and you think, okay, that's given her a new lease on what she's doing and a new goal to strive towards nailing that captaincy. What has Elise Perry got to work for now? Is it really bringing those youngsters through and ensuring the next generation of this team is set up really nicely? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd love to to ask her what a, what what's next because I think that what we've seen is this evolution and she continues to evolve her game. So it might actually just be another evolution, you know, in whatever direction the, the game continues to go. I think I think there is a, a reality around for, for for a pace bowler on how long you can kind of play for. So yeah, I'm curious as to whether she'll how long she'll want to keep trying to do both. But um, I think how long she wants to play for is completely her decision because I think when you you look at some players and and you, they they sort of stay really true to playing one way, you sort of think well at some point you know the the team moves on and things move on. But we haven't seen that with Elise Perry. You know we've seen these great evolutions and you know she's probably playing the best cricket she's ever played right now so um it's really cool to see where she gets to will she put the marker out somewhere where no one can actually get to it so is that 400 where will that be I think for a player even though the girls are playing more and more cricket would have to start so young to get anywhere near where Elise Perry is and I think she probably deserves to put the marker out too far that no one else can get to I think just from a personal perspective I think I've just got so much gratitude for having had the opportunity to play alongside someone like Elise Perry to to learn the way she thinks about the game, the way she talks about the game, how much fun she is and, and how important she is in and around that group. I, I think I was sort of just thinking about it going like, wow, 300 is a lot of games. And I, you know, I don't know how many games I played with Elise Perry. It wouldn't have been very many, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a better player for that amount of games. So to think how many players within that lineup have that same story that have 
that have actually crossed paths with Elise Perry over a career that long. I think that's a pretty cool legacy for her. Well, Matali Raj at 333 leads the charge there. So let's see what Elise Perry can do. I'm sure she's got plenty left in the tank. Um, the final match, of course, Australia won the series. They won by seven wickets this third T20, and they did win the toss and bowl first. They kept the exact same lineup. It was an interesting one because we saw Annabelle Sutherland pick up player of the match for taking the wickets cheaply of Jamima Rodriguez for two and Hummer Precor for three. But it was one of those matches where Australia were just back to their dominant bets and it was really a team performance. I think you could have picked a couple of players for that player of the match award. Uh, it was their best performance with the bats so far. The opening partnership between Mooney and Healy lasted 85 runs. Both openers reached the 50s. And then we saw um, Elisa Healy playing in her 150th game as well. That was a big milestone for her. We saw Litchfield and Beth Mooney finish the game off with 32 runs together to reach the 149 targets set for Australia in the 19th over. Overall, it did feel like this was the easiest match for the Australians to play, despite knowing that the series was on the line and there would have been a little bit of pressure on them coming into this. Yeah, it's, you're probably really happy as a team to to get through and have a really good all-round performance on a game that that is is kind of deciding a series because... I think that's what you want. Um, and I think that was probably the difference between the the two teams is that, you know, India were probably a little bit more reliant on their best players to to get them over the line in this critical game. But I think for for this one, um, it just felt like they were they were so, so good. I think I think for Annabelle Sutherland, she she gets the the player of the match based on probably the wickets of who she got, I think, to mm-hmm. to get Rodrigues and and to also get Harman Precor is is probably why she was the the, the standout there and obviously an economy of three is brilliant um, as well. But look, I think they were so good around um, in every facet of the the game. And, you know, Elise Perry proved that she was still human though, because she got a duck, but <laughs> I think it was, it was nice for everyone to know that, that you can get her out. Um, but I think it was probably really nice for me to see Elisa Healy kind of really dominate at the, the back end of the, the series as well, along with, with Beth Moody, I think, you get you so used to seeing Healy and Mooney, you know, kind of really dominating games for Australia. It felt like that was the right finish to see those two players really kind of make sure that the, the team were going to get the job done. Yeah, Perry going from hitting the runs in her 300th game to LBW for a golden duck. I mean, that's the beauty of cricket, isn't it? You just never know what's going to come the next innings. Looking ahead, we see three T20s to be played, two of them at Monica Oval and one at Bell Reve Oval in your hometown of Hobart, 27th, 28th and 30th of January there against South Africa, 3rd of Feb, 7th of Feb and 10th of Feb are the ODIs. The first of them played at Adelaide Oval, the second and the third played at North Sydney Oval and then of course the test we're building to is actually sitting last in this series against South Africa, 15th to the 18th of February at the Wacker, what are you most excited about for this series? Mm, good question. I I'm probably just excited to see how the 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 team lineups change. I think we you know we've talked about the eleven, but you know will we see the team do anything back on on home soil? It sort of feels like the it was a big away series, but is this a little opportunity for the the team to tinker where people are going to be in the lineup? Um, will we get some more clues on what they're thinking through the T20s for the T20 World Cup in in Bangladesh? So I think it's all of those little things that, you know, you and I love to pull apart and, and talk <laughs> about is, you know, what is their best 
a bowling lineup in in each of the formats. Um, but I think particularly everything that's leading through to the T20 World Cup because that that feels like it's it's going to be a, a really important tournament. So what those those matches look like, I think, will be really critical. All right. Well, we'll be back in your ears the week starting the 22nd of January to preview all of that. We'll take a closer look at South Africa's team. We'll take a closer look at who we think will line up in each format for the Australian team. But I just can't wait to see the team up close and personal in the flesh on home soil. So I look forward to catching up with you then, Beamsy, and previewing all of that exciting stuff to come against South Africa. Yeah, can't wait. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.